This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. to see you. My name is Christopher. If you uh, don't know me, I'm one of the leaders here. It really is lovely. And we're um, continuing with a series called The Sermon on the Mount. And uh, even my kids, who's one of the, uh, the youth kids in church, have just said how helpful this particular sermon series has been. Um, eye-opening, faith-stirring, and, and putting some fire in their bellies. So we're super grateful for that. And we look forward to God to be uh, continuing that with us this morning. When I was a younger man, a somewhat much younger man, I attended the birthday party of a friend. And I was aware that this friend had a friend who was a male stripper. I say it quietly. And it's... (laughs) Get cue music. No. At some point in the evening, there was this strapping lad in a sailor's navy uniform who walked into the birthday party. And I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an aware guy. Um, you know, I wasn't born yesterday. I put two and two together and never want to kind of shy away from a bit of a fun conversation. I walked up to the guy and we started having a, a discussion. And I was constantly trying to tease out at what point is the music going to come on and is he going to start his uh, dance, shall we call it? But after many frowns and just kind of baffled looks on the guy's face, I realized he actually was just a naval officer (laughs) (laughs) who was attending my friend's birthday party. And, And he was a much more senior man in the military than I was, so I did feel quite small. But hey... Please don't judge me. I'm sure many of us have made uh, similar faux pas in the past. You know, don't judge a book by its cover and so on. So maybe by that story, uh, you, you can already tell where we're going this morning. We're looking at, arguably, <laughs> yeah, we're not going where you think we're going. So <laughs> we're looking at, uh, at arguably... Uh, one of the most quoted parts of the scriptures, words in the Bible, and, and most often when they are quoted, they seem to be quoted in the King James Version. So whether you're a Christian here this morning, or whether you're exploring Jesus with us, you're probably, you've either heard, you've spoken these words, or at least you've thought these words when somebody else has spoken to you many times. So as the slide comes up behind me, let's read it together. Judge not, lest thou be judged. Okay, it's, it's, you've got to say it in the, in the King James, right? It just doesn't sound right in any other translation. Judge not, lest ye be judged. So, let's read it now in the NIV. 
Let's familiarize ourselves with this passage of the Sermon on the Mount and see what Jesus is going to be teaching us this morning. Chapter 7, verse 1 to 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Father, we we bring this very familiar passage to so many of us before you this morning and, and say, God, help us to engage with it. Let's hear your words. Let's hear your voice. Let's hear your heart. Do us good this morning, we pray, that we may do one another good. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, which is eternal. It's powerful. It's effective to bring life change with an eternal trajectory. And we ask, do that in us this morning. For your great glory and our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm. So we we genuinely are familiar with this passage. Uh, If you've been a Christian for any particular amount of time, or even if you're not a Christian yet, you would have seen this and heard this and spoken this many times. And there is a familiarity or there's a contempt that comes with familiarity, and we will need to push through that this morning. As a Christian, our ears kind of prick up when in culture we hear words of Scripture spoken or used. And this passage is so broadly used. Some have kind of affectionately taken uh, to calling it the unbeliever's favorite verse. And what do I mean by that? Well, the kind of judge not on the face of it, it plays right into our cultural, or certainly our current cultural values of, hey, I'm just living my life here. I'm not hurting anybody. Um, it's my right to choose how I live. If I feel it's right, it's right, right? It's the cultural waters in which we swim at the moment. So when a comment is made or a correction is offered, Uh, to someone else, the kind of, don't judge, comes out. And comically, uh, when when it's a Christian that's offering this suggestion or this comment, uh, often the prefix, as Jesus himself has said, is added for extra zing, right? So the reality is that not only unbelievers misuse our passage this morning in this way, As people who equally swim in these cultural waters, we as Bible-believing Christians can easily feel or think the same thing, but we're just better at hiding it, are we not? We hear it God first. We know that God puts us in community for, among other things, the express purpose of encouraging us and helping us to grow into mature followers of Jesus. And that that often requires saying sorry, repenting, turning away from beliefs or or actions that are unhelpful. So when it looks to others, particularly in our church community and family, that we're chasing earthly treasures, 
like we heard excellently from Howard last week. Uh, and when the encouragement comes from your brothers and your sisters to, hey, let's keep God first, let's cirque, seek first God's kingdom, Inter- uh, sorry, externally we could go, hmm, hmm, yes, yes, thank you, brother, thank you, sister, I'll take that. But internally, often, there's a part of us that just screams, who are you to judge me? Look at your life. Maybe it's just me. Would you nod if you know what I'm talking about? Good, it's not just me. So think about those responses in the moments when somebody you know loves you, okay, in this community, when they challenge you on how you spend your money, or they challenge you on your parenting habits or decisions. You risk the wrath, boy. (laughs) Or maybe our unhealthy work focus, or an attitude that is slipping in a particular area. How quickly do the defense barriers come up and the don't judge comes out? So both Christian and skeptic alike we see know Matthew 7 verses 1 to 5 really well and can similarly similarly abuse it. So let's look this morning at what it is that Jesus is trying to say, trying to teach us and trying to encourage us to live. So the principle is do not judge or you too will be judged. So, I mean, the the immediate question is, is Jesus saying we are to avoid making judgment calls? Is Jesus saying we should just go along with whatever harebrained idea comes into our heads or the heads of our friends that we love? Should we stay silent when there's an, we can see there's a train wreck coming on in somebody's life? Is Jesus saying that there is no difference between good and evil, right and wrong, and that we shouldn't make a judgment call between them? Are we not to be wise and discerning with our time, our talents, and our treasures, and helping our fellow brothers and sisters to do the same? No, obviously not. That is not what Jesus is saying. Because even in this very chapter, we've got Jesus saying to us, Look out for and discern against false prophets. We need to be discerning. Are they real or are they false? Jesus is commanding a discernment there. And if we'd read further into verse 6, we would have read about Jesus calling some people pigs and dogs. Okay, So in a culture where pigs are unholy creatures and dogs are scum scavengers... That's a judgment call that Jesus is asking us as discerning people to make. So clearly, that is not what Jesus is saying to us. That we should not just go through life blasé, laissez-faire, come what may. So what is Jesus saying when he commands us, do not judge or you too will be judged? And this is not a surprise, I'm sure. He's saying, do not live life with a judgmental attitude. Which is different from being discerning and exercising wise judgment. The encouragement of Jesus 
in the Sermon on the Mount as a whole can open up our eyes and our hearts and our faith and we can see the beauty and the wonder of the gospel and the power of the kingdom of God through Jesus. And equally, it can also evoke in us sticky, smelly, horrible, ugly, prideful, boastful, destructive sin. And Jesus needs to warn us against that. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. D.A. Carson, in his book on this passage, writes, The challenge to be holy has to be taken seriously. And a fair degree of discipline, service, and formal obedience has been painstakingly won. Now I tell myself I can afford to look down my long nose at my less disciplined peers or colleagues. Or perhaps I've actually experienced a generous measure of God's grace, but somehow misconstrued it and come to think that I have learned it. I earned it. As a result, I may look askance, so look with disgust almost, at those whose vision, in my view, is not as large as my own, whose faith is not as stable, whose grasp of the deep truths of God not as masterful, whose service record not as impressive, whose efforts have not been as substantial. These people are diminished in my eyes, and I consider their value as people inferior to my own value. To be honest, I've seen this in my life. Uh, I've done it. I've seen it happen around me. It's probably happened to me. Thankfully, I haven't noticed it. But this exact critical and judgmental attitude can become so poisonous that men and women whose spiritual status and their personal integrity and walk with God and their service to God so outweighs my own, but when they go through the mill of my judgmental spirit, my judgmental attitudes, they come out as kind of spiritual pygmies and intellectual paupers, useful only as paperweights. And I found an imperfection in their life, which, surprise, surprise, we all have, but I zoomed in on that imperfection, and I've judged their whole life based on that one imperfection, and in my mind, I've disqualified them and all the good work that God has done and is doing and will continue to do in their life. This is dirty, rotten, smelly stuff. And in the end, what happens? Well, I sabotage myself. And I sabotage the good work that God is doing and wants to do in my life and in their life. And in the end, nobody wins. Have you experienced that before? We are so tempted to do this in many contexts, day in, day out, with different people. And that's why Jesus takes the time to actively, deliberately, specifically make this declaration, do not judge, and then add a real warning, or you too will be judged. So the reason for this warning For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. 
And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So let's face it though. Whether you're a seasoned veteran of the Christian faith or you're exploring Jesus with us this morning, there's a reason why we get defensive when we feel we're being judged. And the reason is because we often are. And because I often do. And apart from the self-sabotage and the damage to others that this obviously causes, there is a theological reality that should be even more troubling to us than just the short-term trouble. Often, and I think incorrectly, people link the verse with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, with our kind of global every religion's kind of global golden rule that is often quoted again in the King James, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But they do not equal the same thing. But to the person who is critical, to the person who is judgmental, it sounds like the secret to living a harmonious and a beneficial life in society. It sounds like if we can stop people making judgment calls about one another's life and just let people live and let live, life will be a utopia. But that is not what Jesus is saying here at all. The point of verse 1 and verse 2 together is not to remove the... uh, is not the removal of judgment over us by us not judging other people to begin with. It is to remove our judgmental attitude because by it we risk being utterly condemned by God who is the true judge. What am I saying? Am I saying that you are at risk of losing your salvation if you're a believer, if you are hyper-judgmental? No, that is not what I'm saying. We are, as Howard so beautifully put it this morning, saved by grace through faith in Christ. Done. But I am saying, and this is where genuine discernment needs to take place, that if you are hyper-judgmental, you run the real risk that in elevating yourself to the position of judge and jury and executioner, that your faith is not actually in Jesus and in His perfect life and His death and His resurrection and ascension to glory, but it is in your perfection and your wisdom. Faith in self is not faith that saves. And this is Jesus' warning in this passage. We read it right at the beginning of our series. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you yours. And then this morning, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And there's a pattern that uh, we can see that has two concepts at play, and it has echoes all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. And those two are justice and mercy. Again, D.A. Carson. 
Suppose we come across a wretched liar, which we do regularly. How do we look upon him? If we measure him by justice alone, we will be very critical and condemning. But that measure will then be turned on us. How truthful are we? How often do we slant reports or stories to make a point or earn favor? Or perhaps we apply the standards of justice to the adulterer or the prostitute, which traditionally we hammer in our culture. How will we fare when the same standard is applied to us, especially in light of some of the Beatitudes which we've been working through? Do we really want the standard of God's justice to be applied to ourselves in the way we are prone to apply it to others? Ouchie. See, the problem with such a man is not that he longs to root out sin or poor attitudes or poor behaviors in others. It's that in overemphasizing the sin of others, he becomes almost blind to the sin in his own life. And this blindness often starts as a bit of a defense mechanism to our own failures. When challenged on them, we then end up pouncing on somebody else and their sin. And when, when this thing in us just is left unchecked, unrepented of, unchallenged, soon that rawness, that oversensitive, guilty conscience can become a way of life and can regularly over-respond in various situations. Remember the uh, Navy officer? There's a story for a different day where I might have done something a little bit similar to what I was judging this naval officer of potentially going to do. And it was no surprise to me on reflection why I'd judged him in that particular way. Because it was something that I was overly sensitive about. There's a powerful story of King David in 2 Samuel, where David had lusted after, invited into his bedchambers, then raped a woman, Bathsheba. She falls pregnant, and... David's solution is to have her husband murdered to cover it up. God sends the prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan could have just challenged God, uh, t- challenged David on his sin, but he knew David probably would just lash out at Nathan. And so what he does is he does what Jesus does. He tells a story, tells a parable. And Nathan tells David the story of a powerful man who's got many sheep. But he steals the sheep from a man, a poor man who had one. And David, hearing the story, his anger burns inside of him at the injustice of this man and demands retribution. So let's listen in. From 2 Samuel 12, verse 5. 
David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he, had, he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. And this incredibly sad story highlights the subtle creep of judgmentalism into our lives. And it highlights the blindness that can develop to our own sin. And it highlights the terrible, real-world consequences of our sin. But it also highlights wonderfully the beauty and the power of God's forgiveness towards those who are truly repentant and who realize, yeah, I have sinned against my brother or my sister, but my primary sin is first and foremost against the Lord. What we are not saying for a single moment is that anyone who's Anger burns against sin and injustice is covering some sin in their own life. That is not what we're saying at all. It is right and proper and appropriate to burn with anger for righteousness to take place in the world. But David's example does bring us into the next part of Jesus' sermon, which highlights that having strong feelings about somebody else's sin And not having the same strong feelings about our sin is the problem. That is the hypocrisy that we read about. So the example Jesus uses from verse 3 to 5, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, noticing the speck in our brother's eye whilst ignoring the log in our own, in other words, focusing on somebody else's sin while hypocritically ignoring our own, is the problem, and it's the all-too-regular, subtle, daily activities of our lives. Hence, the warning. Remember how Howard taught us uh, last Sunday, two Sundays ago, that the word hypocrite in Greek literally meant actor, wearing a mask, acting. To be a hypocrite literally means to play a role for the sake of the crowd. So having strong feelings about other people's sin, as real as those sins might be, might even reveal more about the heart of the hypocrite, of the actor, than they think. I want to role play a little bit quickly, if that's okay with you. Um, And let's try and see if we can tease out what might be at the bottom of some of the comments we might say or speak on a daily basis. Okay, first one. Hey, have you heard? Or, uh, or the Christian version of gossip. There's something we've got to pray about for Doris. Okay? What, what is at the root 
of that? What could be at the roots of that? Just shout it out. What do you think? <laughs> oh, how lovely it is. Oh, okay. So with me being vulnerable, maybe we can draw closer. I wrote a couple here. Uh, maybe it'll help us get moving. Desire to be loved. A desire to feel in the center of things. Maybe they're feeling unworthy, and this is a way of just raising their social value because they've got the nuggets of info we all want. Number two, brother or sister, you really should do something about your porn problem. Forget about the reality of that comment. What could be lying underneath it? Deflecting from your own sin, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, yeah. Is it? <laughs> Pride of having overcome something. Else, come on, now you better do it. Number three. Ooh, have you seen the nice cars pastors drive these days? Oh, give us a break. <laughs> <laughs> I've had so much stress about that. <laughs> So what's at the root of that comment, potentially? You'd want that money to go somewhere else. Sorry? Your own relationship with money? Jealousy. Jealousy. Yeah. I, I, I wrote here um, comparison, personal value. Actually, I think what I do is more impressive than what Christopher does, how it does, or what somebody else does, therefore, I should drive a better car. Who knows? There's loads that could be underneath that. Oh, this one's close to home, but that's why I'm saying it. I can't, I can't sing a, a song in our church from that church. Or I can't listen to a sermon from that pastor. The heresy there. What's going on there? It's pride. Spiritual pride. We've got it right. They've got it wrong. Lack of grace. Maybe even I'm earning God's favor by keeping it all pure, being a purist. Now, I've obviously chosen my examples to show that there are things that are genuine sin. There is genuine heresy in the world, and we need to be discerning. There is misconduct. There is greed at play. But... The downward spiral of blindness, being hypocritical, kind of playing the role, serves only to highlight other people's sins so unhelpfully when you can do nothing about it and you end up pushing people away from yourself and from God when you do it badly. And it also just increasingly brings us into a, a, a lack of awareness of our own sin at the same time. So apart from letting us know clearly that God is already sitting in the seat of the good, righteous, perfect judge, and there is only one chair, Jesus uses a particular word that, that stood out for me to kind of emphasize an alternative way of relating to one another in, in trying to move forward. And I wonder if you spotted it as well. And that word for me is brother. Brother. 
the use of the word brother. You see, I think in doing so, Jesus encourages us to look in the mirror, to take a look at what's going on. Because when we do so, and we do so earnestly, I consider my frailties. I become aware of them, my weaknesses, my insecurities, my proclivities to slip into certain kinds of sins, my selfish nature, the stench of death that follows this mortal body wherever it somehow goes. And as we look in the mirror, I am encouraged by Jesus to see what is going on in the spiritual realm. The righteous identity and the justification that I have, just as if I'd never sinned through Jesus who's died in my place, who loves me, who's given himself for me, and that he's put me on a journey of sanctification, sancte, holiness, becoming holy, becoming holy as God is holy, a journey that is ongoing that not one of us reach until the day we close our eyes in this life and we open our eyes in the next where death and sin no longer have any power over us. That is who I am when I'm encouraged to look in the mirror. That is who you are. But it is also who your brother and your sister is. Imperfect, prone to sin, but glorious and holy and righteous and eternal in Christ Jesus. Jesus invites us, if you are really passionate about helping your brother and your sister with their sin, with their habits, with their attitudes, with their behaviors, and you want to see God's best for them, start by responding to the gospel to yourself or for yourself every day. Start by responding to the good news that God loves you. That he gave himself for you, gave his son for you. Let it soften your heart. Let it lower the defenses. It's, it's a big story. It's, it's that story of Nathan that just gets in behind the defenses that makes people realize, oh, when we see the big story of God, what He's done for us, how He loves us, oh, it gets in behind our defenses. Stop putting on masks. Allow it to drop off. Stop acting. Stop being the Hippocrates, the hypocrite. Remember that although you have sin and have bad attitude and have bad habits, the truth is that by God's grace we are called sons and daughters and that you've got a family in God that loves you. No matter what you have done, will do, are going to do, are busy doing, you are loved and valued and precious because of God. And from that place of safety, that's, that's the place where we come to and we can then, our God is down there's no judge not coming out of our pocket shooting from the hip. We're just before God. And we can say, God, I'm sorry. I've sinned before my brothers, but I've sinned before you and you alone. 
when we walk. Sorry, then as God is working this process out in us, how different can those conversations not be when a brother or a sister comes and says, hey, could I challenge you on this? The way you spoke to your wife there the other day, man, or the, what you're doing with your money. Mm. Hey, man, you just need to spend a bit more time with the kids, maybe, maybe less time with the kids, maybe, maybe the kids are the idol. What, what a different conversation and tone is it not when our guards are down, when we're hearing one another from a place of safety, being loved, brothers and sisters, loved by God, in Christ Jesus, confident. And when we walk in the freedom of that, these massive logs that come sticking out of our eyes, they become, you know, they're logs of shame and they're logs of selfish, blind sin. But the freedom in God, they start dropping off. They get smaller and smaller and smaller, less significant, less loud. And eventually we can see clearly enough to be able to challenge one another in grace and in love and in confidence. Speak the truth in love. Imperfect brothers and sisters helping one another in humility and in the power of the gospel to become more and more like our perfect heavenly brother, Jesus. Judge not, lest ye be judged. It's not a condemning call to perfection before you are allowed to speak into someone else's life or they're allowed to speak into yours. It's a beautiful reminder of the gospel that calls us into Christ and into family so that together we can grow up and mature into healthy, joyful followers of Jesus. Can I ask the band to come up, please? Our Father, we... We need you. Even as I stand close to, to these words this morning, I... I I feel the hardness of heart. The guards that are up, the mask that I'm wearing, the actor that I am. God, would you speak with us this morning? Love us. Remind us who we are. Remind us they were yours. And nothing will take us out of your hand. We are safe and secure. And that we can be real. Real people with real problems. And allow that vulnerability with you and with one another, Lord, to create an atmosphere in our lives and in our church and in our families and our workplaces and our schools and universities where truth is spoken in love. where your kingdom can advance, where your goodness and your grace is experienced by all, where we can be confident in who we are because we're yours first and foremost. We do pray this morning, Father, that as we reflect on, on our habits, on our beliefs and attitudes and behaviors, that 
God, you'd bring us to a place of submission, of humbling ourselves in this place of safety this morning to lay it down. Lay it down at the cross. Lay it down at your feet. Lay down these big poles, these logs that are in our eyes so that we could see you clearly and see our brothers and our sisters clearly to do them good, Lord, as they can do us good. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.